New writing. New North. writing. New North. writing. North. New writing. You're North. listening to a podcast New by writing. New Writing North. This episode of the New Writing North podcast was recorded at the Durham Book Festival 2018. In this episode, Jordanian screenplay writer Mofle Aldawan and poet Linda France discuss their experiences taking part in the Alta Air Creative Exchange. This cross-cultural exchange between Durham and Amman was established to help raise the profile of British writing in Jordan and of Arab writing and culture in the UK. I started Altair Creative Collaboration or the exchange between Jordan and Durham because I felt that we live in dark times. And I think the, the ultra-right and fascism is on the rise all over the world. You have preachers of hate, both here and in other parts of the world and in the Arab world itself as well. So as an answer, I wanted to create a program that brings people together and get them to talk to each other. Not a clash of civilizations, but a dialogue of civilizations based on respect. So we set up this, this program against all odds. I am also born in Amman and it features in my writing and I lived for the past 24 years in Durham. So I wanted to give back to my hometown and to the city that adopted me, Durham. And what better way of giving back than shining a light on the writings of Jordanian writers and poets and their counterparts in the northeast of England. I initiated this program because I wanted to give back uh, to both. And they are, the two cities are part of my mental landscape and fiction. I was invited by the British Institute in Amman to go and visit them. When I went there, I looked around and loved the place. It was a lovely building in a quiet part of the capital. And instantly the idea for setting up the exchange came to me. I felt that an author from the Northeast would absolutely love staying at the British Institute. And an author from Jordan would love spending time at St. Mary's College, which has fantastic grounds. So the idea began germinating. And then I met Carol Palmer, the director of the program. And Carol is a graduate of Durham and from the north of England. Her deputy, Philip Proudfoot, is from Belmont in Durham. So there were other connections uh, instantly. So we began the journey, and here we are, thanks to all our partners. I'd like to briefly introduce the authors. Linda France was born in Walls End, Newcastle-upon-Tyne, and now lives close to Hadrian's Wall, near Corbridge, in Northumberland. Her eight full-length poetry collections include The Toast of the Kit Kat Club, a biography in verse of the 18th century traveller and writer Lady Mary Wortley Montague. Linda also edited the acclaimed anthology 60 Women Poets, Blood Acts 1993, a Poetry Book Society special commendation. She has published several pamphlets. The most recent, Month of Shadows, 2017, is a limited edition bilingual collaboration with an artist and poet translator in Bulgaria. 
Linda has held numerous fellowships and residencies during her long publishing history, including at Newcastle University's Botanic Garden, Moore Bank, in 2010-11, and at the Institute of Advanced Studies at Durham University in 2013, where she stayed at my college, St. Aidan's, as well as working regularly on interdisciplinary collaborations with artists, musicians, scientists, and other writers, her poetry has won many awards. In 2013, her poem, Bernard and Sirinthe, won the Poetry Society's National Poetry Competition. Thank you very much, Fadia, for that warm introduction. Uh, I'm delighted to be here, and I was delighted to be there, too. Miflih Al-Adwan is a prolific and multi-award-winning writer, novelist, playwright, scriptwriter, and editor of documentaries and cultural TV shows. His plays have won several national and international awards, including the Sharjah Award for Creativity, Dramatic Writing in 2002, and the first Arabic version of the international monodrama competition in 2015. His writing has also won him many other awards, including the UNESCO Creative Writing Award in 2001. His first collection of short stories, Arraha, published in 1994, was well received by Jordanian and Arab readers and won the 1995 Mahmoud Taymour Award in Cairo. In addition to his many plays and story collections, Al Adwan's first novel, Al Atabat, was published in 2013, followed by his Encyclopedia of Jordanian Villages, Bawh Al Qura, in 2017. The encyclopedia contains three colossal volumes, tracing the history and sociocultural development of over 3,000 villages. Moreover, he is a constant contributor to newspapers and the media. I thank you, Fadia, for hosting us here in Durham and for the lovely introduction you gave today. I also thank all of the partners and the crew standing on the success of this creative exchange program. So it was not the first visit of uh, Muflih al-Adwan to Great Britain. First of all, he likes to thank Fadia and her partners for this project of creative exchange. His first impression is based on developing the knowledge he already had of England and of North East England. He focuses on the fact that this project further develops the human interaction between two nations, and he insists that even if geography is different and there is a difference between two lands, we share the same sky. I was very excited to be invited to spend some time in Jordan as part of this exchange, and I'm very grateful to Fadia and the partners. But I absolutely didn't know what to expect. I had no idea what was in store for me, and I was a little nervous. I had this kind of frisson of anticipation, which is actually quite a good thing. It starts the adrenaline going, the appetite is whetted, and surprise is a great thing for a writer. So rest be assured, I was surprised. I was startled and disorientated initially, but once I settled into myself and properly arrived in Jordan, I quite quickly began to fall in love with it, with the country both Amman, the city of Amman where I was based and the further reaches where I was taken out on fantastic trips to see uh, 
historical and archaeological sites, both in the north and the south of the country and the deserts. So my first impressions that I'm bringing home and processing, attempting to process just now, are of a stunning landscape, an absolutely jaw-droppingly stunning landscape, a many-layered, complicated history that I'm totally fascinated by, the warmth of the people, the, the extent of their generosity was miraculous, practically. Something which I haven't quite got to the bottom of yet, which was connected with how beguiling I found the Arabic language as an expression of Arabic culture. I'm kind of tantalised by that. I only picked up a few words, but I love listening to it, and I know there's more there to explore. So obviously you haven't met my tribe while you're in Jordan. You know, my tribe are very, very uh, welcoming and uh, generous like most other tribes. But I think Miflah Al-Adwan's tribe is, uh, is much more mellow and uh, Al-Adwan. Well, that was one of the things that I did find quite interesting and I hadn't anticipated was the importance of the tribal. Yes. It just kept coming up in terms of what people were were saying. They just naturally would say, well, I'm in that tribe or my, my family came from here. Or I was astonished by that and it did make sense of so many things. It made sense of all the begats in the Bible, uh, that genealogical iteration that occurs, but also the, you know, the state we find ourselves in, the, you know, the conflicts that have arisen um, and continue to arise in, in, in that part of the world. I have a question for Miflech. Most of your writing is allegorical, where myths, legends, fables are used to create timeless texts. There are many references and allusions to the Bible, to the Quran, and to oral tales, to popular culture, history. So you use that in your writing, and I wanted you to elaborate on that. Just tell us a bit more about that. My first degree was in chemical engineering, but I was and still am very keen on reading about history, mythology, and theology. I am at a very mythic and inspiring place. I mean, the Jordan River on its own is all inspiring. But I do not write about allegories and mythology and legends because I try to turn them into a sacred taboo. I am trying to break and reconstruct the the widely accepted narrative on mythology and history in the Middle East. Okay, that's a wonderful answer. Thank you so much. Linda, I have a question for you. You write about nature, and I wonder whether the visit to Jordan, you were able to feed into that interest in that theme that we find in your writing. The fact that I found myself in such a different landscape with such unfamiliar plants in particular, and also animals and climatic conditions, and people's relationship with the landscape itself as well, the human side of things, necessarily has taken me to a different place. So I've found myself focusing in on the minutiae of the some individual plants that I became very fascinated by, both their forms and uses and 
place in Jordanian law and also wanting to open out from that very tiny scale, miniature scale, onto this bigger landscape. It, I, I think it's probably the biggest landscape I've ever known, that I've ever been in. The, the, the desert, the wadis, those views that, that in England in particular we have no sense of literally or inspiring spaces to look upon, to be inside. I'm interested in finding ways to talk about my own position in relation to them. That's something that, that comes up with all my writing about nature. It's, it's really provoked by a deep ecology and wanting to know where we all fit in the bigger picture of things. And being there in this fresh, different, unfamiliar place allowed me to, to see it anew, uh, to see it as if I'd never seen it for the first time and to understand those things all over again. Mm-hmm. You know, we have to keep going back to first principles, don't we? It's, that's important for us all, let alone writers. Yeah, it was, a, it was a perfect canvas, a perfect space, arena to ask myself the same questions but being taken in a different direction in terms of my possible answers. Miflih, I'd like to ask you about uh, the play you are writing now and how it started and how it's going to develop. Thank you very much, Linda, because she gave me the key to my project. I would like to thank Linda again because she literally gave me the key to this new project. We always pass by Hadrian's Gate in Jarash in Jordan while focusing on the fact that it's a touristic site. But she told me about Hadrian's Wall in northeast England. That made me think about the umbilical cord between two different sites in two different countries, built by the same emperor who colonized the two spaces, the two countries, and used their raw materials to build these sites. Because I'm writing a play, on set we will have the gate and we will have the wall and we will focus on the humane and humanitarian side of the story. I'm very excited that I gave you that spark because, as I hope that you will see at some point during your stay here, I live about 200 yards from the vallum, the ditch that happens on the south side of the wall, as part of the fortified defences. And it's very much a part of my life. I've lived in that place for 25 years. It's, it's part of my place in things. And so it's great that I somehow took that across to Jordan and passed it on to you. Yeah, like the wall and the empire itself, in a, in a very creative, uh, transformative way. Uh, he's very happy because you basically gave him a gift by rediscovering an area that he and many other people have been seeing for a long time without knowing the full history of that site. And in return of your gift, he will give you a gift back by presenting this story in a creative way on his play. Before we go, Linda, do you mind reading a short poem that you wrote in Jordan? 
So we conclude with, with that, with poetry. Okay, thanks, Fadia. Um, I mentioned that I'm particularly interested in flowers and writing about flowers, and also that going to a new country is almost like being born again that gives you an opportunity to see things anew as, as you mentioned Muffler. but I was also very aware that as well as everything being new I was going to Jordan having fairly recently celebrated my 60th birthday and I'm aware that I'm um, I'm a woman now of a certain age there's no turning back um, I'm in the autumn of my life so there's these two things happening at the same time and there is something very kind of alpha and omega about that the just born and the getting older um, much older so that seemed to focus around, uh, find some expression in uh, a flower that I kept seeing in the desert landscape and around the place while I was in Jordan, that there was some argument about what it was actually called. But Carol Palmer, who is the director at the British Institute and an environmental archaeologist with a particular interest in botany, in her mind, she felt that the plant was called Kharif, one of the Arabic words for autumn. That, that felt, that triggered something in me, that a plant could actually be called autumn, a flower could be called autumn. Woman as a flower called autumn. Observe what I have become a thin white raceme rising from a fat, papery bulb. Call me Kharif, autumn, squill pollinated by wind, wasp, hornet or bee. My inflorescence, a plume of hardly there. Oldest flowers at the base, New ones bloom as my shoot grows, white on white on white. Ancient tincture, kill or cure, I ward off rats, evil. This the dry has taught me, how much asks to be sacrificed, the boon of everything stripped back. Bones of autumn blossoming. Thank you so much. That's beautiful. Miflih, could you read uh, for us a paragraph in Arabic so we can get a flavor of, of the sound of the language and the rhythm? And then uh, Wisal will read a translation, uh, an extract from your work. Mu'jizatu Abi Ana. كان يدري بأني لن أترك هذا المكان ويعلم أني أصير سمكة إن أردت وأكون حوتا بأمري وإذ تحاصرني الجدران وتضيق بي أغضو قطرة ماء أتسلل من أي شك وأنز منتزعا خلاصي ولدت سليل الماء فكيف بالماء يخيفني and all were present and accounted for. I am my father's own miracle. 
He knew very well that I would not leave this place, that I would turn to be a fish if I wanted, nay you wail at will, and if surrounded and closed in by walls, I would turn to be a drop of water, capable of seeping through any crack or slit thereby, oozing to wrench away my salvation. I am a scion of water, so how can water scare me? When they became distant, they had the ox captain with them. I was not unaware of the fact that their wretchedness and ill-being began as he set about to drive them forcibly and cram them into the ark's hold, cattle, human beings, birds, reptiles, all alike, until all were present and accounted for, except for me. Then he duly took a roll call. He turned to me and said, If you will not be with us, water shall be your coffin. I stared at him. His eyes were dry, except for a single tear, which I feared he might let fall, for in that tear lies the secret. I eyed him attentively. I pondered. Water is the source of life, and it is the throne of heavens and the covenant of earth. This was what my father had taught me, what made him think, what made him forget the significance of water. They disappeared. As the ark proceeded to push far off into the distance, the year began to float with the inattentive travelers. Forty years were to pass before the rain stopped pouring down, and then forty years that followed, allowing the ark to finally come to anchor, were succeeded by yet another forty for the waters to dry. What had remained then? I opted for water. I warned him. Father, I said, don't be involved with insects and bassest of cattle, and appoint yourself captain of their ark. Join me and opt for water. He refused, and I prayed for mercy to be bestowed on him. He walked towards the ark, closed all its doors, and fastened all its openings very tightly. Then he hoisted the ark's white sails, and I followed him, right up to the last loophole. He was almost in tears. He appeared as though he wanted to say something, and as though he was waving me goodbye, but the relief of fear was clearly visible on his countenance. At the last loophole, I drew near to him and stammered, Father, he beckoned me to be silent and whispered, I fear for your safety from them. Through the scuttle, I looked at the creatures that were about him. I only saw those four-legged with cannon teeth like wolves with him, and he was standing in their midst. He was on his two feet. Throbbing in my heart, I clutched his hand tightly and said deliriously, Oh, Father, he pressed my hand and whispered to me in fear. It was a conspiracy, and this is their only salvation. My father was the ark's watchman. I was in the water and could see him waving his hand to me, like a jailer gesturing the end of visiting hours. As he closed the scuffle, water began to pour down. I was very happy, and the ark was leaning on the water and moving away. I watched it attentively as it pushed far off and remembered my father's tears. He was a jailer who saved all who were in his custody in the ark and remained for 120 years in search of waterless land on which they could carry on living. I cannot tell you how happy I am about this exchange program. I think it will have many developments, ramifications, linkages in ways that we don't even imagine or understand. In this world that is full of conflict and hatred, we planted a seed 
and hopefully it will grow and become a tree. Thank you. New writing. New North. writing. North. New writing. North. You're listening to a podcast New by writing. New Writing North.